Welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. Rebecca Lazarou is a medicinal plant scientist, herbal expert and holistic therapist here to help us heal using natural medicinal products. She is passionate about using science to better understand how natural medicines work and does this through her own research at Kew Gardens and had previously edited for the academic journal of herbal medicine. She has founded Laz the Plant Scientist, an online platform exploring the relationship between plants and fungi, science and well-being, where she shares her research and products. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, thanks very much for having me. I mean, this conversation has been such a long time in the making, and I'm so glad we are finally connecting because I really feel a resonance in the work that we are both doing in the world, which really centers itself in integrating modern science and ancient wisdom. Now, I understand the work that you are currently doing at Kew Gardens is really focused on just that. Can you share with us exactly what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the research project at Kew Gardens is focusing on ancient Greek medicines. Now, just to contextualize the importance of ancient medicines, um, people have used plants and fungi for millennia to heal. You know, it's an instinct, just like animals in the animal kingdom do it, humans have as well. And over the years, it's been recorded. Um, And modern science at times has looked back and found phenomenal discoveries. For example, artemisinin, the compound which cures malaria, um, was found because it was a Chinese scientist, went and looked back at ancient Chinese texts, found a plant and a, a remedy which matched up with the symptoms of malaria put it in the lab and it didn't work, but then read the traditional extraction techniques where the plant was left in lukewarm water for a week, put it in the lab. It created a Nobel Prize winning medicines, curing hundreds of, million, hundreds of millions of people. Now, this medicine would never have ever been discovered if the scientists didn't have the the awareness of the wisdom of the ancient times and the respect for it, to be honest, because we're so focused on the new all the time to our detriment, I believe often. Um, And, but one of the problems is, is that plant nomenclature and getting the right species is so complex. It does my head in, to be honest. Um, One name, one plant can be, so for example, lavender, the word lavender could be for 16 different species all of them with different phytochemistry, all of the, some of them medicinal, some not. So for example, it's like me calling you Judy. There's thousands of Judy's, but it's Judy Galea, which is your the specific one. Now, when looking at ancient texts, they didn't have botany like we have it now. It's just the common names. Um, so a lot of the time, research can be done on assumptions. And what our project is doing is creating a methodology for which we can botanically identify species in ancient texts, which can then lead on to research. I know it sounds super complex, and it is, to be honest. It's really interdisciplinary. We've got phytochemists, a burnt, chem- burnt substances chemists, because we're replicating some of the 
the recipes where they burn them and seeing if there are any medicinal compounds. We've got ethnobotanists, historians, data scientists, philologists, which is experts in ancient Greek. Um, yeah, ethnopharmacologists, all sorts. So yeah, and we're basically just smishing all our brains and skills together to try and see. And it's interesting, you know, many of the plants um, still from ancient times are used today. Some of them dropped off use after 2000 years, about 100 or 200 years ago. And we're like, what happened? Was there environmental change that meant the plant doesn't exist anymore? Was somebody poisoned? What happened? You know, so it's really, really interesting. It's been three years, another six months, and we'll have the data complete. Yeah, it's intense. <laughs> really intense. But what you're really like highlighting to me is like the beauty of science and actually what science is at its core, which is just this exploration and this sort of led by curiosity, like what is going on and sort of putting your minds together and hypothesizing and testing and, you know, work, trying, to, trying to work out and answer some really big questions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. It really does highlight the beauty of science. But what I also love as well is that it decentralizes fixating on science and it's interdisciplinary. So we've got the humanities in there as well. We've got language experts. We've got the ethnobotanists who understand the relationship between people and plants, but not necessarily the chemistry or whatever. My part of the research, one of the bits I've been focusing on has been basically tabulating modern data from clinical trials of these these plants and seeing if it matches up with the ancient uses because what we're doing is trying to create a confidence factor so at the end of this we're not even going to have a 100% answer we're going to have the common name a few different plants and then a percentage saying we're 70% sure it's this species or whatever and we do that by gathering different pieces of data now if I only focus on the clinical trial work the study would so be and only use science it would be so much weaker so much weaker but it's this holistic integrative approach which allows all of it to strengthen overall and I, I believe this philosophy is something that's true in all sectors of life it, it it really is and it calls into question I mean I guess it's how we just define the word science like you know in some ways we're sort of talking about science really um only relating to the exploration or the the thinking around like chemical structures but in mm. fact it's it's not it's really at its core it's founded on the pursuit of truth you know what is going on and as you say that does or can take you know when you include such a uh, a melting pot of minds you get a much clearer idea about that because you're getting so many different um minds together and, and and backgrounds together and knowledge together you're bringing knowledge together which is a really beautiful thing yeah absolutely and the relationships between things I mean nature and human relationship is so romantic and it always has been we've got a really gorgeous um you know rich history and folk tales and all of this stuff and it's just wild when like learning about if I was just focused on science I wouldn't hear the really cool stuff like for example important medicinal plants are passed down through oral tradition over time people didn't write it down they remembered them through stories and poetry and stuff like that so actually you know there was a study in Iran where they tested ginger 
for a use which had been forgotten about, but it was spoken about in a folk tale that they used ginger for a certain reason. They put it in the lab and it worked for that reason. So I just find it so enchanting, you know, that there's just so many different bodies of of knowledge and uh, leads for medicine and it in the herbal world you know I always laugh because it's like half my time is spent around people in lab coats and the other half is witches <laughs> but it's the natural world so of course you know yeah I feel like I've got I feel like half of my persona is in a lab coat and half my persona is is as a witch so I really, <laughs> <laughs> this is why our combination works yeah 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 totally there's about 10 of us in the world so nice to meet you <laughs> <laughs> And well, sort of moving into sort of again, like you know, you, the exploration of this sort of science and and wisdom piece. You you are you are developing a real interest in the world of psychedelia and and cannabis and um, how we can harness the potential of these plants, particularly for those struggling with mental illness. Um, can you explain a little bit about the research you have done um, that you have read uh, that that gives us the biggest insights that you've had around the use of these plants and fungi? Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. So I'll speak about um, psychedelics first because um, cancer is more so. There's been a lot of research in it. For, um, cancer, sorry, cannabis more so. It's been a lot of research in it for for cancer, for joint health, and stuff like that. I know it can help people with mental um illness but that's not necessarily true for a lot of people either so what psychedelics is for mental health is fascinating um so one of the major problems that we have with our current uh antidepressants the ssris is that it only focuses on serotonin and what we're understanding now it doesn't necessarily rewire the way you think it doesn't. One of the problems, which I'm sure you'll agree with our healthcare, is that there's not we're not necessarily given the empowerment tools to be able to handle the difficulty of life. It's like we just try and pharmacologically subdue our emotions without cultivating the skills we need to live well because life is hard, which is why I'm really passionate about healing because we need to learn how to heal, otherwise we should suffer. You know, and so much of mental health is about learning to cultivate our power so that throughout all the chaos we have a point of center now serotonin deficiency is what's been shown recently is now actually it's a lot more complex than that you know there's actually a lot of inflammation in the nervous system that happens that causes problems with the communication between the nerve cells and you know, mushrooms, which are not psychedelic, but cordyceps, reishi, lion's, lion's mane, multifaceted and can reduce the inflammation there as well. But with psychedelics, what's beautiful about it is that the way I've heard it described is that it's somebody had a trip and a clinical trip. And they said for the first time they were able to step out of their pain and see their life and the patterns that were in it and the role that they played in it and exactly what happened instead of being just stuck in the pits. Um, and what's remarkable and what gives me a lot of hope about this medicine is that it's the remission rates are amazing. You know, people that have been treatment resistant for decades had all of the antidepressants, nothing worked. They never found peace, they never found happiness, but had one psychoth- psilocybin session and six months after, 
they're still okay because it fundamentally shook up their foundations and cleared the fog. They're saying that psychedelics can do for psychiatry what antibiotics did for medicine. So it's really incredible, really profound, really hopeful. It actually gives me a lot of hope for um, men as well because there are still a lot of fellas that are like, oh, I go to therapy, but they really need it, <laughs> you know, and they might be a bit more open to, you know, uh, self-healing with psychedelics. Um, but yeah, it's massive problems in the industry as well. You know, it's one thing having a psychedelic trip and having all these epiphanies, but if you can't integrate those lessons back into life and build that bridge to your happiness, doesn't mean much. Um, and you get people who will repeatedly go for the ayahuasca ceremony or whatever because they've not they've got the insight but they don't know how to bring it back home and it's actually the consistency of bringing it back home that is super important um they're also just gorgeous thing to do to laugh and giggle in nature they understand our place in the world you know um but also it's not for everybody's predisposition someone's got an affinity for psychosis or schizophrenia and stuff like that um if they don't know how to ground and be able to pull themselves back down to earth if they're in the wrong set and setting set and setting is everything um yeah it can really go skew with um but yeah also the industry now it's like pharmaceutical companies are just trying to find a way to synthetically create the active compound uh, which is yeah you know it's patented and stuff and I just like it just makes me laugh <laughs> um let me just explain some context about why that makes me laugh um so the whole premise of plant and fungi medicines one of the major things is their complexity in the extracts so pharmaceuticals work on a reductionist model where everything i know you know this but for the for the listeners um everything is broken down into tiny tiny pieces you find the one receptor in the body that's going to have an effect and you find the one active compound and you um patent it and there you've got your medicine and yeah they can be very very powerful no doubt about that um but with plants and fungi what you have is complex extracts with hundreds or sometimes thousands of molecules now what this does is it creates a synergy effect so an active compound which on its own would have been dangerous would not have been absorbed into the body or um yeah it could have been toxic or it just wouldn't work when you put it in its natural most chemically uh, natural form with hundreds if not thousands of molecules the synergy or entourage effect happens right which means that this molecule is potentiated it becomes not toxic it's able to be absorbed into the body it becomes medicinal now the interactions are far too complex for us to understand but the clinical outcomes is that it's safe and it works um and this is what it makes me laugh so much because herbalists have been speaking about this for so long. But now the cannabis industry has come along and, you know, you've got all these blokes in finance suits talking about the, the wonder of the synergy effect. We're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> you know, so if you have THC on its own, which is a psychoactive part of cannabis, it can cause people to have psychosis, horrible experience, hyper paranoia. But then when you have the CBD and the CBG and the terpenes and all of that it can be a really pleasant sometimes healing experience and um, so that's why it makes me laugh that it's like yeah, we've got this incredible fungi that grow from the ground and connect us back earth to earth and our spirits you know 
but no let's try and put it in a lab and find the one thing so we can make billions of pounds off it <laughs> yeah we ha- you know it's all about it's all about context isn't it and I guess it's also understanding the context in which we are living in the 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 context being capitalism you know and so of course in some ways it's, it's obvious that that's going to be the driver of, of why of, of 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 finding this chemical that can be patented and then sold however that's got nothing to do with its clinical effectiveness and our well-being is a completely different um north star yeah totally so yeah and that's what I am I think it's also important to acknowledge the complexity in that many truths can be are true at once so pharmaceuticals can be incredible there's some pigs in the industry there are some incredible doctors who are strangled by a system only with one option um incredible nurses incredible scientists fighting for what they want which is you know to look after people um and yeah pharmaceuticals can be very healing very very lucky to have them but at the same time they have therapeutic gaps they're not to be overused they're to be respected because they're very powerful um and yeah it's just that complexity that so many things are true once there's really good people in the industry it's really bad one same with the herbals you know it's not like it's like, oh, these wonderful hippies have come and created this nice medicine. There's sharks in our industry as well. It's just the nature of things at the minute. So it's just, yeah, I'm really passionate about sharing the knowledge so people can be discerning and empowered and make informed choices. Speaking my language, girl, speaking my language. Exactly. There's light and dark in every in, in every aspect of of, of life and therefore they show up in the industries that we all work in and uh, and I think grounding that in um then that's why evidence and research is so important because it can help us discern but we need to be more discerning I would say about the research that is done the research that we're exposed to and that we read and you know that's particularly true I guess I mean hearing that you um, have edited the journal of herbal medicine I was instantly like oh I wish I could read that and of course I can read it um and I can you know I'm sure that there is it's open open sourced however it's not a journal I was aware of um until my exploration into this world began it it, you know because being a doctor I am exposed to medical journals and it's just the awareness of the construct that we're all operating within. And it would be, wouldn't it be an amazing world where we could actually see all the available research, as you were saying, an interdisciplinary approach, an integrative approach, when we are all focused on healing, like it would be an amazing world, I think, mm-hmm. to have that integration of all the researchers across all these fields and get us all speaking so that we can really understand uh, the bigger picture rather than just our field mm, totally and and for it to be mandatory for results to be published if it doesn't work as well you yeah. know it's so easy to curate data and the variables to get a certain result it's yeah it's really that's why I get frustrated I love science and married to it that and herbalism you know I'll devote myself to it the rest of my life but I hate that it's been made the new, you know how back in the day people were obsessed with religion, you couldn't speak against it. That is science now. And it's only when you actually, well, we've had the privilege of a good education where we can take things apart and say all that, you know, 
not everybody's got that and it's just this blank it's simple it's easy science says that it's like oh who funded it what are the variables what is the actual percentage difference because my belief that it's only you only need something to work 40 percent of the time for it to be able to get to market right so over half the time it doesn't work exactly i mean like it even even doctors who have been trained to critique research, I don't think have been critiqued to research it in properly, really, quite yeah. frankly, and um, which is examining the construct in which they are uh, reading the research, the research that they're reading, but also understanding exactly that, like who's 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 funding it, what the what the who, um, the uh, um, the regulation of drugs, the rules that they're required for regulation, like you know, and and who 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 are making those decisions because that is all feeding the 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 assumptions that we are constantly making. As you say, when people love to use this word science and to say, well, that's what science is, it, it drives me up the wall. So I was like, what are you what what are you meaning when you say this word science? Like what? What do you think it means? It's, it's a really, as you say, it's a dogma. It's become a dogma. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's somewhat taboo to even question, you know, the very, the, the, the inherent skews through which we are seeing this so-called science being presented and done. Why do you think it's so taboo? I've been trying to figure it out. It's like ironic that the one thing is that scientists, science in itself is very humble. It's there to critique itself and constantly find out what's wrong and test, test, test and try and disprove theories. So why do you think it is so taboo? Is it just like a cultural thing or I don't know, it's really bizarre? I think it is really bizarre, but I think I think it, yeah, it's it's just it's it's quieting it's it's quieting the questioners, which is mm. as you say, just in the absolute um, antithesis of what science actually fundamentally there yeah, to yeah. do. It's that alpha male structure that's run so much of the world has happened here as well, and it's almost because it's like science equals safety. So if we question science, it's like we want to put people in danger. It's like no, we don't. <laughs> we don't. Isn't it funny as well how when the fall of religion, or not the fall of religion, but, you know, the outcast of religion was the witches uh, and, and now the outcast of medicine is people deemed like that as well. It's crazy. I hate the term alternative therapy. It's not alternative. It's not in, like, not even necessarily always complementary. Like, it's my primary medicine. And for me, pharmaceuticals are complementary if I really, really need them, but I haven't in years. So, well, I love this conversation because I'm really, I really struggle with that terminology as well. I really struggle with that terminology as well because I completely agree. Like, I think that there is something demeaning and just inherently inferior that is wrapped up in this world or word alternative, as if it's like, you know, an alternative from what? Like, it's a non pharmaceutical healing modality, but that yeah. just feels a bit of a mouthful for me to like, yeah, yeah, a bit yeah, of a yeah. mouthful and almost like a real a sort of an, an emphasis. I don't know. I'm not really yeah. fully comfortable with that term either. Yeah. Do you have a term that, that that's in preference for you to encapsulate non-pharmaceutical healing approaches? Because I would love to have one. Yeah, I just, yeah, good question. Well, I think I just call it natural medicines or phytotherapy, but then that's excluding the fungi. <laughs> but yeah, no, I just call it nat natural medicines. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really 
yeah, it's uh, language is so so important. It's like girl boss. Somebody, somebody called my. I can't remember who it was. Somebody called someone girl boss the other day, but she started calling him boy boss, and he didn't like it. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, it's the importance of language. It really is language. the foundations of our culture. Words are spells. I heard um, most like the other day, and it was just—it's so true. There's such a power in the words that we use, like that. You know, they 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 cast a spell. Like they're they're very powerful. They're very powerful. It's, it it's, it's why they call it spelling. And also with the uh, like my one of the biggest game changers ever like equal to herbs if not more everything foundations is the language in which I talk to myself and it's like with depression and anxiety so I was um listening to a TED talk once and there was this woman and um she got a divorce and she went on a date for the first time in a few years and within she went to the bar within 10 minutes the man left and she called up her best friend and her best friend goes well, yeah, you're really ugly and boring. Why would he stay? Which is horrifying, right? You just think, you cow. Except it wasn't her friend. These are the thoughts she was telling herself. And then she understood the power of language. And since then, you know, I used to have, I used to be so insecure. So all of that. And since then, I consistently started changing my language and created a dialogue with this voice in my head. And now it's, I speak to myself in kindness. And sometimes I get annoyed at myself, whether I'm never cruel. Um, you know, imagine if somebody on the street was rude to you, be like, you know, <laughs> and changing that language has it's rewired my whole nervous system, my whole programming. Everything's been rewired because of language. So, yeah, agreed. We need to get the word alternative out of that. We really, we really do. We really do. And yeah, let's keep the conversation open as to what, what suitable alternatives are for alternative, because we need to find one that actually, I think fundamentally just allows us to see, um, to remove the hierarchy we have created within our society that medicines, you know, um, and medics and doctors have the overall authority over all things health it's mm. just not true and um, I think that that was part of the um game when the witch hunts occurred um and the, there's there's a hierarchy that still stands today that the doctor is who is the authority in the space and that's why I've created you know the witchy women um it's in order to almost lend my authority to elevate the work and um, experiences um, and expertise of non-medical alternatives, because I really just haven't found a better term yet to use. Um, therapists, like um, um, doctors in their own rights, healers in their own rights. Um, I think that's just, it's so important that we, one, recognize that a hierarchy exists, two, rest, you know, question, um, question that hierarchy and actually just be able to put the pharmaceutical approach as one approach that is available and it may be the it may be the best in that space for certain things maybe but let's see if it is like let's put that out like let, let's actually gather all the research we can let's gather all the minds that we can and actually examine you know you know what what actually works best and not only what works best but what works best for someone who has a particular set of values and beliefs and assumptions and desires to perhaps try 
natural products before they try pharmaceutical products and rather than necessarily judge them as being alternative hippie witchy crazy to actually give them the respect their right to choose thanks so much for joining the team i'm so glad that like there's people like you that are seeing what's going on because the thing is as well I've got so much to say on everything you've said about decolonizing language around herbs from the history of the witch hunts and how herbalism was stamped out, but also the fundamentals of people might be like, why are you so passionate about, you know, this? And it's because pharmaceuticals have side effects. They can significantly decrease people's quality of life. The third leading cause of death after cancer and heart disease is pharmaceutical side effects. 13.4 trillion dollars spent every year in America just managing chronic diseases, not preventing them, not curing them. You know, in the 60s, 4% of people had chronic diseases. Now it's 32%. So we're not getting healthier. We're not getting healthier. And there are therapeutic gaps. And people, I just want people to live well, you know, and be able to have as much happiness as possible. And so we need to reintegrate healing back into medicine and have minimal side effects for people you know and optimize the state of our tissues and our systems and our health you know and and also another fundamental problem with our healthcare system and it's not the doctor's fault it's just what they've been pushed into but it's this outsourcing of power that is forced upon the patient so somebody will go to the doctor and they'll say this is this is wrong and the doctor's got 10 minutes and they'll say oh no you're fine or yeah, this this let's have a pill for it. But it's like we're entirely dependent on the doctors. And unfortunately, in our culture, if someone's got blood pressure and the doctor was to say you need to go for a half hour walk every day, it would be seen as they're failing the the person. But really, you know, it should be normalized that you walk for, <laughs> to reduce your blood pressure or whatever, you know. So there's a lot. We've got a lifetime's work ahead of us. And just like you're saying, not only is there an enormous amount of side effects there, but as a healthcare model, me at the front line in A&E, I'm seeing the effects of that, you know, people like just, just by managing someone's symptoms rather than really trying to get to the root cause of their dis-ease, which is so much more fundamental than playing around with their biochemistry. It's often, you know, such a, a greater need to sort of really examine that person and how they sit in their lives. It's not, it, it, it's, it's perpetuating this culture of, of illness and disempowerment. Um, and I really noticed it as a cultural phenomenon when I was with my niece um, the other day and we were watching Peppa Pig, she's, she's three. And you know, there's we get we get we're we're given med- messages so young that you know go to the doctors when you're sick and the doctor will tell you and make you better. And so, like even from these really young, you know, um, this is this is the cultural messages that that we're given rather than actually cultivating a um, a sense of trust in ourselves and 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 a discernment that we can cultivate and um, within ourselves around. Um, what's going on for us and how we wish to manage it. Totally, yeah. And also just, I think part of the problem with our mental health and stuff like that is how disembodied we are. We are almost entirely in our heads, which means we can't necessarily feel 
when things are going wrong, let alone know how to move emotions through us. And um, in the 90s, I believe it was, it was blood pressure was raised going through the roof and they called it the silent killer, you know, because there was no symptoms, but it could kill you. And I remember speaking to an ethnobotanist who specialised in Jamaican plants and she was like, in Jamaica, they're like, of course you can feel it. You can feel it in your temples. You can feel it in your wrists. Of course, you know when your blood pressure is high. And it's just that cultural difference, isn't it? It's interesting, very interesting. We don't know how things feel, and yet we've got these feelings. And, and that's the thing. When, when I see people in, in A&E and they present with physical symptoms and they're describing how they feel, um, and it, that may be through tightness in the chest, that may be difficulty breathing, that may be a headache. But I say, you know, we feel our feelings. They are called feelings. We are feeling them in our bodies. There's such a negative, um, you know, people hate being told that um, from a doctor that um, their feelings are not real and that this mm. is all emotional. And in fact, that's absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm trying to explain that we we do feel our feelings and doctors just are not taught to interpret these sensations um our emotions and how they're expressed in our bodies which I think is doing us all a huge disservice yeah totally I mean yeah I did my degree in biomedicine and it's very much if through the reductionist model it's really important and interesting to find out how the individual parts work but we have to understand how the individual parts work together. You know, I, I use the analogy, if there was a family who were impoverished, had absolutely no money, and their schools were really, um, you know, um, badly funded, and there was a lot of problems in their area, no opportunities and stuff like that, you could give that family £10,000, but after that £10,000 goes, still, the system is still... In, in a way that they're not going to be able to lift themselves out of this, you know? So it's like, it's almost what pharmaceuticals does. It gives that receptor 10,000 pounds, but it's not looking at what the, sim- the systems behind it that perpetuate this problem. And that's why we really need to approach our healthcare system in a much more holistic way. That's such a great analogy. And unfortunately, the system of disempowerment through pharmaceuticals and the way that they approach our symptoms, but also like actually in the way that um, so much of social care and the way that our um, society is, is, is set up is set up in that way, which just continually um, creates dependence and, and continually disempowers. And, um, and, and that's not probably by, that's not really by accident. Um, May I ask, I'm curious how your work is received within the medical community. Cause I know there's a few doctors who are really integrative and really pro. I mean, they're the sort of conferences I'm at, but I'm also aware that I might be in a little bubble. <laughs> I think um, I, I think that the first thing people people give me a sort of look of surprise of of just pure surprise um that I would be even entertaining um or uh, that any alternative alternative um perspective or viewpoint on 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 non-pharmaceutical healing modalities and I always sort of arrive that or, or sort of reply to that as like but have you ever looked into them? You know, have you have you ever looked at with your own narrative? Because our narrative is so 
narrow and there is an arrogance but it's 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 a it's a it's a um it's a quiet arrogance and of course it's because doctors are lauded within society and you know it's a competitive and a prestigious degree to be doing and people who are doing my theory is that people who are doing these degrees sort of feed off that approval and feed off that status because that's why they've been drawn to it in the first place so there's this sort of quiet kind of unquestioning entitlement to this position of authority and without truly questioning beyond the narrative through which they've been given and that really kind of interests me and I see that I see that a lot because people look at me quite blankly they sort of look at me as if I'm a little bit unhinged and um and 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 in some ways that really fuels me it really fuels me to get grounded in the research more because we have to be able to speak the same language we have to be able to bridge this divide we have to actually bring both sides of the conversation on board and actually I think that's the only way in which we can truly have a conversation that is going to be well received totally yeah that's exactly it we have to be like the translators between what and again it's through language Again, it's through language and, 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 and to do that, we're facilitating, we need to facilitate conversations and spaces that we can have these conversations. And it's true, I think there are an increasing number of um, conferences, symposiums, um, spaces where there are uh, conversations starting to be had, which is really heartening to see. Mm, oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, going back to the point about language, because, yeah, no, there must be a few doctors which are like, come on guys if something's not working <laughs> of course you know um but yeah they're going back to language I'll never forget my um when I was in a lecture on my master's I did a master's in medicinal natural products and phytochemistry so it's all really like lab-based and sciencey and um the course founder Dr Jose Prieto is an incredible man um he's done all sorts of research from cannabis clinical trials to plants for migraines and all sorts and what he said is he was like, I'll never forget, he goes, when a physicist describes a photon, he said they describe it like a, a particle and a wave. It's not literally a particle and a wave. It's just the closest terminology they have to describe this phenomena. He said in ancient medicines, when they describe things in the sense of wind, heat, damp, stuff like that, they don't literally mean that it's just the closest terminology they have to describe these phenomena whereas we over here are very colonial oh that doesn't sound right to us isn't that silly folklore you know because it's not spoken about in science and and somebody else made a really interesting point the other day about how um, science can be really colonial as well because and how marginalized other bodies of knowledge are because it's almost like science is the big boy in the middle and other things on the outskirts and have to prove to them and speak to science in its own language in order to be accepted um you know and it's again it's this alpha male uh or alpha structure whatever mm-hmm. so yeah it's like a real systems uproot that's needed And it's very interesting when you start getting to understand as well, um, even the publication of of science that is not in English. So Mm -hmm. even sort of science that's yet that is not translated does not reach us. We need Mm -hmm. now more than ever to consider 
um, other people's opinions, other systems' opinions. We need to work together. We need to listen to each other. We need to learn. We need to we need to work collaboratively. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, psychedelics do illuminate the truth, and um, yeah, I think each body of knowledge, as you said, it's okay to have a body of knowledge, but as long as you can give it context and also list its pros and cons and be aware of that. You know, it's the same with herbal medicines. We've got a lot to learn from the pharmaceutical industry when it comes to research and it comes to vigor and it comes to, um, you know, quality extracts and standardization and all of these different things. Um, But at the same time, science has got a lot to learn from the herbalists, thousand percent. Um, So, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's just good life lessons, good mental hygiene overall. It's just context and pros and cons of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And just as we wind things up, like what are you, what what is really exciting you about the work that you're doing in the next six months to a year? Can you share, can you share anything that's really lighting you up and what can we, what can we be excited as members of the public to see emerging? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the things is I am co-editor for a platform called Herbal Reality um, because a massive problem which was identified is that the information online is oftentimes Wikipedia trying to tell you that the plant's going to kill you or companies that want to sell you products and not much is actually written by herbalists. So it's a charity that was created. It's a collective of herbalists, scientists, academics, and they've got a podcast as well called Herbcast. And we've got so much information and knowledge and wisdom shared on there. So I'm co-editor for that. And then with my own business, I've currently shut the shop for a couple of months to give it a rebirth. I'm formulating medicines for anxiety, burnout and depression. Um, so we'll have that, the lymph tea, the hair oil, the hay fever medicine. And then basically over this next year, I'm just going to be in my apothecary, in the lab, formulating and releasing, hopefully growing the business so I can stick to what I'm good at instead of trying to do everything at once, which I'm sure you have experience of. And yeah, just bringing like plant and fungi knowledge and high quality medicines to people because it's all well and good, you know, sharing information. But there's there's more good quality medicines need to be on the market, I think. So, yeah, that's what's going on. Oh, also, of course, I forgot medicinal fungi line is coming next. So, yeah. What's what's medicinal fungi line? Um, So there'll be chaga, cordyceps, lion's mane and reishi. But it's, yeah, I've had a nightmare sourcing good quality ones. I've literally invested a lot of money in a load. And then they came and I had a really funny feeling about them. And the lab tests have come back and they're rubbish. So I'm just going to have to put them in the bin. But I'm gutted about losing the money. But at the same time, there's no way I'm going to sell anything less than 100% quality because it's just disrespectful long term, isn't it? You know, to the industry and people buying Wonderful. So that's a new line that, that you're selling in, in your shop. And can you just give us a, um, where can we find you? Where can we find this shop when your products start becoming sold again? Um, so it's Laz, the plant scientist, L-A-Z, um, the plant scientist. So yeah, if you sign up to my newsletter, I'll keep you updated. I'm on Instagram as well. Um, and then Herbal Reality is the charity and Herbcast is the podcast. And if you want to read more about my academic, um, academic life, then it's RebeccaLazaru.com. Um, but yeah, I need to update that. <laughs> Another thing on the to-do list. 
<laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Um, us, us half witches, half scientists. We've, yeah. got, we've got our work cut out for us. But um, I'm so, so thankful that you're doing the work that you're doing in the world. And I'm so thankful to finally have collaborated and had this connection with you. I have a feeling this is going to be one of one of many conversations we'll have in the future. And please keep me updated with all the research that you that you do. Um, I uh, I regularly I'm going to be really restarting my research reviews with vigor and as I say I think it's really important that we speak the same language and that we can get that language in a in a way that people can truly understand it within the context that it's being written and in 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 the context that this research um is is being done um so please keep me updated with any updates and um i'm i'm definitely going to be checking out those that podcast and and that that resource i'm very grateful for you having pointed me in that direction so thank you so much for your work um and it's been wonderful to connect yeah absolutely take care all the best thanks so much for having me that was great i really enjoyed it thank you thank you for listening body mind soul seekers if you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists, learn more about what they do and how they can help you, check out my new holistic healthcare platform, The Witchy Women. Or if you are a holistic healer that wants to serve and help more people, book in a discovery call with me. Find more details at thewitchywomen.com. To show your support for this podcast, please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you all so much. Until next time.